Welcome to Technology Forward. I'm here today with Blake Teifel, co-founder and CEO at Essentium. Essentium provides industrial 3D printing solutions that bring product strength and production speed together at scale with a no-compromise engineering material set. The company manufactures industrial 3D printers and materials to help users embrace additive manufacturing. Today, we're going to discuss what the company is doing during this COVID pandemic and where they see the additive industry going. So thank you for joining me today, Blake. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Glad to be here. First, the additive community is really stepping up to aid in the fight against the pandemic. Can you tell me a little bit about what your company is doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interestingly enough, it was about uh, 13 days ago now. We're like on day 13, I think it is, if memory serves. They're blurring together somewhat. But, you know, we got a call. It was Sunday morning, 8 a.m., March the 22nd. I'll probably remember that for a long time. But we got a call from the Texas National Guard. You know, Essentium uh, had been building a relationship with um, members of the Air Force community. We're on contract with the Air Force to work on 3D printing for maintenance items and things like that for aircraft. But as the COVID outbreak was, was sort of hitting um, the U.S. And then, and then, of course, sadly, just affecting so many communities, you know, the, the folks in the Texas military department were being asked at that time by the governor's office to say, okay, what is the capacity for manufacturing and procurement and a variety of other aspects to help the state of Texas to care for our communities, um, including obviously Austin and Houston and Dallas and San Antonio, some of the major metro areas, but then, of course, the rest of the state as well. So in, in a lack of cohesive federal leadership, the states are having to kind of, you know, fend for themselves to a large degree, and, and, and we're seeing that, unfortunately. But, but we got a call from the National Guard, and then uh, over the last 13 days, we have stood up a, a manufacturing center inside of our own company. We have uh, multiple Essentium uh, HSC, that's the high-speed extrusion 3D printers, mm-hmm. already in production. We started our pilot, pilot phase production of community-use face masks, just a you know a, a few days ago now, um, and I, and I just have to say it's a testament to um, in our case we were very very fortunate to be able to lend a hand. The city government of Pflugerville, which is the suburb of Austin where where we we are, the city government stepped in. The landlords of our building stepped in to help us, and the trade, so drywall folks and electrical folks. So we transformed an 8,300 square foot bay in our building to become a manufacturing center for medical equipment, PPE, uh, in 36 hours. So, you know, wow. just the, the, the type of response, yeah, it's, it's just astonishing. The, the, the ability um, to align, you know, men and women who are just all wanting to play a role, all wanting to help in, in whatever way they can to protect their neighbors and protect their communities and protect their families. So that's what we've done, and, and, and I'm happy to say we've produced so far a little over 1,200, you know, face masks. The face mask approach that we took, we, we, we worked with the FDA. We've got FDA emergency use authorization for uh, face masks. We've been able to produce um, over 1,200 masks, and these masks are we, – we, we provided um, an initial order already to the, to the Pflugerville Police Department, and we're following that order up with a, with a larger um, supply, I think, today. And then there are a variety of other – just orders that we've gotten from other city government folks, police departments, um, in fact, some businesses, some manufacturing companies who, who are, are listed as essential service providers, but they don't have the PPE for their workers. So, you know, we got an order from a turbo machinery company. Um, so, 
Yeah, so over 1,200 masks so far, um, and these are reusable masks, so uh, they can be used for one or two months. If you wash the mask uh, with soap and water, then, of course, you can disinfect it from any potential viral adhesion to the surface of the mask. And we use a filtration media. It's a, an ASTM level one filtration media. It's been certified at one of the, the labs that does um, bacterial filtration efficiency measurements. And so, so it's a safe mask for folks in the community uh, who, who need PPE and, and cannot get access to PPE. So um, that's our first major, um, I would say, response. And, and we're ramping that. I mean, you know, over the next couple of months, we'll, we'll probably be in increasing capacity by, by over fivefold um, to produce those devices. Now, recently I saw a press release um, from you involving materials. So what kind of uh, developments in materials are you either working on or using or seeing in regards to working with these face shields? Yeah, so working with the, with the PPE that we're working on, I just want to draw a quick distinction. Um, there are two types. There are face shields, as you rightly point out, but then we're actually working in the mask space, the face mask space. Both face shields and face masks are, are needed, obviously, but just to, just to distinguish briefly there. So uh, in terms of the materials, we, so, so we, we launched uh, four, four materials at the Formnext trade show 2019 in, in Frankfurt, Germany, back in November. And those materials, some of those are playing a role in the tooling. So Essentium is directly manufacturing um, face masks, but then we are also manufacturing right now the tooling. We're, we're, we're working with a local injection molding company to basically ramp up even faster the ability to produce these face masks because, you know, injection molding is a high-volume process, right? So, so one of our materials is a, is a HTN-CF25. That's a high-temperature nylon polyethylamide blend with a lot of carbon fiber in it. It's a carbon composite. And basically that material is really great for tooling. So if you think about what sort of 3D printing can do really well, we're seeing opportunities for 3D printing to fight the virus, you know, so to speak, by directly doing kind of a bridge manufacturing like we're doing now with the masks, but then also doing an, serving in a very important indirect role to make the tooling that can be used to make the masks at much higher volumes. Okay. Now, um, I also saw recently that your company has been doing a number of surveys on the additive industry and the users. What have you found that surprised you? Yeah, it's a great question, Leslie. We, what we saw, you know, so, so we did the first survey in 2018. It was the, you know, survey of users who, who are in the manufacturing space um, already and who are already using additive manufacturing. So that's kind of the, the metric that we use. Um, you know, we contract with a third party to, to conduct the survey, and the, th the third party kind of reaches out and does that. So what we saw year on year, so for example, from 2018 to 2019, it, probably 60 to 70 percent of the questions asked in 2019 were the same questions we'd asked in 2018. We were trying to, to see if we could build some sort of a, a start to a longitudinal understanding of some of the movements in the industry. So one of the things we asked about was 3D printing usage. So in 2018, uh, the, the jump, the jump in, in users who are identifying that they're using additive manufacturing for very large volumes of parts went up from 21% to 40%. So that's nearly double in a 12-month period. And interestingly, the number of respondents went up also, which, which we thought was really good. In the first year of doing the survey, we had 116 respondents. In the second year, we had 162. 
So, you know, that was kind of, I think, a, a useful increase. And about 83%, I think, of those respondents are from North America. So fully, you know, 17% are from other countries that, you know, kind of outside, outside North America. Um, so those are some of, the, some of the unique findings. And there's a, there's a bunch of other unique findings that we're, or maybe, maybe not unique, but, but interesting findings that we're seeing as a result of those, those data. Did you find anything that confirmed some assumptions or observations that you've noticed over the years? Yeah, one of the things that we saw in the responses that kind of, you know, aligned with, with, with one, of the, one of the sticking points, I'll say, was, was that even though engineering users, and in many cases even engineering managers, have really built a strong understanding of how to use additive manufacturing at larger scales than in the past, the finance and procurement departments are still not there yet. So one of the areas that we're hoping to work on is to help provide more data and more insight in the form of use cases and white papers, which can help the finance uh, folks really understand you know, how to buy additive manufacturing. Because okay. really at the end of the day, what they're buying is capacity, right? But when you buy ah. capacity, you have to buy capacity in the form of hard assets like capital equipment, or you buy, you buy capacity in the form of usually components like the actual devices that that capacity produces. So, you know, when you buy, when you buy a, an additive manufacturing machine, like, a, like an industrial 3D printer, you get a machine that is, is very flexible. And so putting the machine's uses into one of the sort of established swim lanes uh, may not allow the full value to be realized um, from that, that, that purchase. And so we're trying to educate those, some of those you know, folks who work in procurement on what the real nature of the opportunity is to provide more agility and flexibility and capacity uh, into their operations. So if I'm hearing you correctly, they're focused primarily on price rather than capacity? Yeah, well, it's, it's not so much a, in either or in that sense. It's just, you know, how do, how do they contextualize buying a 3D printer when they're used to buying, for example, a lathe or a mill or oh, some okay. other classic piece, yeah, some other classic piece um, of manufacturing equipment? Um, because our printers, the high-speed extrusion machines that we make, they can function in a classic prototyping sense like m most printers do. But really, these printers are designed for the factory floor. They're, design they're not designed for the, you know, the design studio or the prototyping you know, outfits. They're really designed to go onto the factory floor. So we have to help folks learn how to build cost models and usage models for industrial 3D printing. Uh, and in many cases, they just haven't had to do that before. Very interesting. Okay, and um, the last question I have is, so based on all of your observations, your surveys, and your knowledge of the industry, what do you think this industry needs to do in terms of development or advances to move it forward? Yeah, great question, Leslie. So what we saw in the data from the survey, so I'll kind of highlight the three top challenges that we saw in the data. So challenge number one is the price of the technology. Mm -hmm. um, additive manufacturing classically has been too costly um, to deliver the kind of ROI uh, which manufacturing companies uh, need to see in order to be able to afford to, up, to uptake a new technology. So, so pro, you know, 
challenge number one would be we need to see as an industry, an out of manufacturing industry, we need to see you know, much lower pricing much more commonly so that out of manufacturing is seen as a technology uh, which can be useful at scales. So, that, so, so item one is, is price of the solution. Item two is actually the price of the materials. And that's really important because um, as most uh, manufacturing and process engineering folks will tell you, the bulk of the ongoing cost for a production asset is actually in the consumables. Once you buy a manufacturing um, piece of you know, uh, capital equipment, the upfront procurement cost is only a portion. It should be sort of 25 to 35% of the total ownership cost of the asset. But with additive manufacturing, the materials have been so costly that they've thrown that out of whack. So, so we, we need to see the materials costs also come down, which we're seeing now um, as a result, for example, of Ascentium's kind of open platform um, approach. Uh, and then the third aspect is actually mindset, and that kind of harkens back to um, helping to educate and equip folks in the manu manufacturing industry across a variety of disciplines to understand how to purchase and use and operate you know, industrial 3D printers at scale. So that's what I would say would be some of the major challenges that we need to work together as an industry to overcome. And we may be able to do that once uh, this pandemic moves along. Um, do you have any well, we comments so. or any points that you want to make that I didn't address? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, I guess what I would say is a little bit of kind of a context, you know, comment. So I'd make a remark about, you know, just what we see. I mean, we're just closing down our, you know, the first quarter, right? At the end of March, we closed down the first quarter for the year. And there's a lot of people, you know, myself included, who are kind of, you know, wondering, well, what's the first quarter going to be like of 2020? I mean, the, the pandemic is, is hitting uh, communities across the world. And, and obviously, job one is to address the public health crisis, uh, number one, far, far and away. But then job number two is to address the, the looming economic crisis. Mm -hmm. And so we were curious kind of, you know, what, what would we see? And, and it was interesting, in the first two months of the year, there was kind of a big, you know, pause button, I would say. It was, it was pressed um, months of January and February based on what we saw at our customers. You know, people were saying, well, the coronavirus is coming, but what does it mean? Oh, how is it going to impact me? Is it going to impact me at all? Can I afford to invest? Can I, afford, can, I, can I afford to expand? Can I afford to grow? But now, actually, in the manufacturing context, what we're seeing in the month of March and then carrying over now into early signs for April and, and the near term, we're seeing manufacturing companies taking a look at the supply chain and the supply mm -hmm. base, and they're asking themselves, how can my supply chain be structured to better protect my company from economic risk? due to business interruption and things like that that we're seeing at large scales. So I would say it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, kind of almost fascinating really, to see what the movement will be in, the, in the, the supply chain structures. I think the supply chain structures are going to move and they're going, they're going to shift a lot. Once the public health crisis starts to wane, we will see a huge, I would say, shift in restructuring of global supply chains in many industries which I think is great for additive manufacturing, but it's also good yeah. at the end of the day for communities that have been upended because of supply chain shortfalls. So I hope that that's at least one positive thing <laughs> that will come down the road uh, you know, after, after the coronavirus wanes, wanes to some degree. Yeah. It, it will be interesting to analyze all that information by the end of the year. 
Okay. Well, I appreciate you joining me today, Blake. Thank you so much for your time and your information. Thank you, Leslie. I hope you guys are able to, to stay safe, and uh, thanks for the work you're doing.